show of hands, let's make sure we're all in the same place, dealing with the same issues at the same time. Show of hands, how many of you have had your peace of mind challenged in this last week? Let me see your hands. All right. You all got a bunch of problems, don't you? Amen. Listen, we always are going to experience challenges to our peace of mind. So today is the final message in our Rewire series. And for five weeks, we have been rethinking the way we think. We've walked through a biblical understanding of stress, biblical understanding of worry, biblical understanding of discouragement, of captive thoughts, and also renewed minds. We've seen truths that not only help us gain peace of mind and having our minds in the right place, but at the same time, these are truths that help us so that we keep our minds in the right place. Now, if you've not been a part of each of the different weeks so far, let me kind of go over a very brief summary. These are just some of the different truths that we have fleshed out, worked out over the last five weeks. We have seen that God stretches our faith through the stuff that stresses us out, that we don't always see things as they are, Many times we see things as we are. That worry is concern that has been separated from God's help. We've seen that when you're physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted, you're already in a compromised position that makes you more prone to discouragement. We've seen that sometimes we live in a state of discouragement because we keep waiting on God to do that one big thing and yet we're not looking at the hundreds of smaller things that God is doing all around us. We've also understood that it, it's not about one big thing. It doesn't have to be big to be God. It just has to be God. In the last two weeks, we've seen in spiritual warfare that what you believe determines how you act, and how you act determines if you win. We have learned that an enemy fortress is anything that controls our mind and keeps us away from knowing God. And then finally, we've talked about whoever controls the mind is going to be the one who wins the battle. So today, we've got a couple more truths that we want to add into that particular list. And we're talking today about a biblical understanding of peace. Based on the promises of God, listen closely, based on the promises of God, when you're taking your thoughts captive... When you're renewing your mind in truth, things will get better mentally. Notice what I just said. Things will get better mentally. The circumstances might not change around you, but your perception of those circumstances will change. The way you walk through those circumstances will change. The process that's happening in your mind, when you're taking thoughts captive, when you're renewing your mind in truth, things will get better mentally. Now, the other side of that is once they get better, how do you stay there? If we're not careful, we go right back into the same patterns of behavior that we've been in maybe for years or maybe for decades of our life. So how do you not only find yourself in the right state of mind, but how do you stay in the right state of mind? That's what we get into this morning. So I invite you to go with me in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 will be in verses 4 through 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have the words up on the screen behind me. I'm speaking today on a biblical understanding of peace. 
biblical understanding of peace. We'll begin in verse number four. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into this text, Lord, we are all coming from different points, different struggles, different issues that are impacting peace of mind. God, we are needing your spirit to take the truths of your word and to directly and personally apply it to each person in this room, to each person that's watching online. God, we cannot do that. Your spirit has to be the one to do that. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you. May you live these truths through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Four inclusive words are found in this text. Always, nothing, everything, all. Always, nothing, everything, all. Even though the Apostle Paul, who is writing this particular letter, is writing it from prison, facing possible execution, Something that any one of us would say, if there's ever a reason for someone to be stressed out, it's probably going to be the Apostle Paul. Based on those circumstances, he still makes it clear, regardless of what you're facing, God is bigger. God is stronger. The peace of God can still go beyond all human understanding. He, he, he makes it so that if we're trying to say, but you don't know what I'm going through, he's like, no, let's stop that right now. Always, nothing, everything, all. When are we to rejoice? Always. What should cause anxiousness? Nothing. What should we pray about? Everything. How far does God's peace extend beyond all comprehension? The reason I bring that up is because as believers, our initial reaction to things might not speak to those words. In a moment of crisis, we might go into full crisis mode. Our mind might be overwhelmed. Anxiety might jump in. We might be dealing with discouragement. In that moment, the initial moment, all sorts of things can happen. But for the believer, the issue is that's not where you have to stay. There's truths that set us free there's a way in which our minds can be guarded that it goes beyond all human comprehension and that's what we want to get into in this text so here's your key thought for this morning you have to fight for peace of mind say that with me you have to fight for peace of mind now i know that sounds contradictory fighting and peace do not seem to go hand in hand together but remember, you're in a spiritual battle, and it is happening all around you. And when you're in a battle, you have to be ready to fight. So when you're in that battle, 
And when you're thinking like, God, why am I not gaining victory? Why am I constantly overwhelmed? Why does it seem like I'm losing day after day? He wants you to go back and say, here's the truths that are going to set you free. Now, I want you to listen to this from the very beginning. In this text, you're going to see that you have to fight for joy when everything is trying to rob you of that. It's a battle that you're going to be up against. You're going to have to fight, listen to this turn, from gentleness. Mm. When everything inside of you wants to meet the fire with greater fury, he says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all. Here's another one. You're going to have to learn to fight in prayer. When everything inside of you says, I don't want to wait for God. I don't like what's happening around here. It seems as though things are not moving as fast as I want them to move. In those moments, you're going to be tempted to go right back into the flesh, right back into these are the patterns I've developed over my life. And in this, he's going to say, when you're in that moment, take everything back to him in prayer. So how does the text teach us to fight spiritually to not only gain, but also keep peace of mind. Here's the first truth I want you to see. That is, we fight for joy, which is always in the Lord. Fight for joy, which is always in the Lord. Verse number four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to pause, dramatic pause. Let everybody get that first verse in, because what I'm about to say is going to make a lot of people upset. Dramatic pause. Are you ready? Hurting Christians do not like this verse. Hurting Christians do not like It's not that they don't believe it. It's not that they don't understand it to be true. They don't like it. Here's the reason. When you're hurting and emotionally raw and frustrated, the last thing you want to hear is somebody say, you need to rejoice. That inside response is, no, I don't. You don't know what I know. You don't see what I see. You're not feeling what I feel in this moment. If you knew what I know, you would not tell me you need to rejoice. I'm not telling you. God is. The scripture says rejoice in the Lord always. And the issue is many times we withhold, listen, we withhold our praise until the answer comes but we can rejoice always because our joy is found in him. Our sufficiency is in him. Our satisfaction is in him. Our peace of mind, our ultimate pleasure, they're all in him. The passage does not say rejoice in the answer you want. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Our joy is in Christ, so therefore our joy can be constant. Since the source of our joy is constant, the expression of our praise should match. We should be in a state of rejoicing. Now, in this context, remember the Apostle Paul writing from prison. So listen, 
Paul was in prison, but his joy was in Christ. All right? You might be in frustration, but your joy can be in Christ. You might be in trials, but your joy can still be in Christ. You might be in grief, but your joy can still be in Christ. And listen, all honesty here, it is a personal decision you have to make in that moment. You have to decide in that moment how you will internalize the events of the world around you and how that leads into the truths of the Word of God. No one else can do that for you. That's what I'm saying. You're going to have to fight for that joy. You're going to have to fight when self-pity wants to come in and say, this is how you're going to see the world around you. You're going to have to fight when fear starting to control you. All of those things begin to rob you of your joy. The next one, we fight from gentleness because God is near. Verse number five, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Notice he does not say, try to become gentle first. He says, let your gentle spirit be made known. In other words, when you got the Spirit of God indwelling you, there's a gentleness that comes with the Spirit of God that's already there. It's another way of saying, be known for treating others with gentleness. Did you know that gentleness and peacefulness walk hand in hand together? Think of the most gentle person that you know. There's almost a peacefulness when you're in their presence. There's a calmness. There's a nurturing part. There's a soft touch many times that goes with that gentle person. Gentleness and peace seem to go hand in hand together. Now, sometimes we look at that person and we say, that's just their personality. And it might be for some. But there's others who are spiritually gentle, not because it was their personality, but because they learned how to fight well in private. In other words, they already fought through what they wanted to say but shouldn't say in private. They already fought through the pain that's ripping them apart. They just did it in private. Very much like Moses in the Old Testament, when overwhelmed, they rehearsed the things in the ears of God. They brought it back to him because ultimately, he's the only one who can help. They just simply did those things in private. They learned to fight from gentleness. Just pause here a moment. Do you realize how much stress would be eliminated from our lives if we just don't carry grudges? Do you realize how much stress is eliminated when we choose to act in grace? When we conduct our lives from the position of gentleness? It takes energy to be mad. It takes valuable time to keep rehearsing everything you want to say in that moment in your head. It takes time. The longer those things circulate in our minds, the longer it robs us of peace of mind. Now, I'm speaking for myself. I'm speaking for myself. I'm speaking for myself. If you happen to identify, you could speak for yourself. But in this moment, I am speaking for myself. Here it is. Gentleness gets in the way of what I really want. Because when somebody hurts me, what I really want is to hurt them back. 
when someone attacks someone I love, what I really want to do is respond in the moment. I I want to say what's on my mind. I want to take control. I want to change it myself. In that moment, gentleness is usually the last thought that is on my mind. And yet, this is one of those truths that it just kind of punches you in the face a little bit. How many of you love coming to church and get punched in the face with the Word of God? It's so funny to me because people, different people respond to Scripture in different ways. And sometimes there's people to come out and they talk to me after the service. They're like, Paul, that was an encouraging word. Man, God used that. And other people, they come out and they're like, man, that punched me right in the face. You stomped on my feet. You hit me in the gut. And it was great. And I'm like, I have never had that response in my life. Like, I, I walk away like a wounded dog when I get punched in the face with the word. But that's a, that's a whole other side story. Anyway, so here's the issue. Gentleness runs opposite of our flesh. But gentleness is the only disposition we can take to live out the hard truths of Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.1, it says, be strong in grace You cannot be strong in grace while acting in frustration and anger at the same time. Jesus says, love your enemies. You can't do that unless you're coming in at a position of gentleness and submission. This text is telling us that we're to let our gentle spirit be made known to all. Every passage I just mentioned is hard. And yet every passage is hard is still biblical. It is just as biblical and truthful as John 3.16. As Christians, we never have the right to be unkind. And as hard as that is in the moment, did you know there is unbelievable blessing that comes from a gentle spirit? You know what a part of that blessing is? When you walk away from that conversation, you don't have to wonder whether or not you said something you shouldn't have said in the moment. When you are going to bed at night and those things are still sitting in your mind, you're still wrestling through them, you don't have to wonder in that moment, is it because of how I reacted that this relationship is still broken? You can say, to the best of my ability, I've tried to walk out the truths of Scripture. Now, if, if somebody says, I see what the Bible says, but I prefer to live a scorched earth policy towards those who are aggressive towards me. If if obedience for obedience sake is not enough, how about obedience for proximity sake? It says the Lord is near. Think of it like this. When I was a kid, probably when you were a kid, There were things I would not dream of trying to do in front of my parents. But when they were far away, I'd try to get away with everything I could. I knew if I was in their presence and I acted the fool, they would slap a knot on my head so fast, it'd make my head spin. So in those moments, I'm in their presence. I'm like this. I'm smiling. I'm happy. I I, I straightened up and I flew right, as my mom would say. But let me get away from them, and you think you get a chance to get away from some stuff. So for the person who's saying, I know what it says, but I'm going to do it anyway, he reminds you, the Lord's near. How near? 
near enough to see what you don't want him to see. He's near enough to bring conviction when you sin. He's near enough to correct you when you're wrong. He's near enough to discipline you when you're defiant. The Lord is near. Now somebody says, Paul, this is becoming a less and less encouraging message the further you go. Let me give you the encouraging side of the same statements. For the person who says, God, I understand that I'm supposed to act gentle. And I'm going to do it because that's what the word says. But God, this thing is killing me. This thing is eating me up. I feel like I can't be myself. I feel like I can't say what's on my mind. I feel like if I don't speak up, no one's going to know. For that same person, here's what Paul would say. The Lord is near. How near? He's near enough to know what no one else knows other than you in that moment. He's near enough to step in and intervene when you don't think he's paying attention. He's near enough to bring that other person under conviction, to bring that situation under control. He is near enough to do what needs to be done. The Lord is near. Either side you want to look at, he says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all. Here's the next one. We fight in prayer as we bring everything to God. We fight in prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. Now, as believers move from dependent upon themselves to learning to depend and trust in God, they are going to see that self-reliance is like a drug in their life. It doesn't go away overnight. It's hard to stop relying on yourself and begin to start trusting in God. So we go through what might be described as self-reliance withdrawal symptoms. And that is for the entire course of our lives, we've been doing it our way. We've been handling things ourselves. We've been challenging what we need to challenge. We've been addressing what we need to address. And then scripture says, pray about everything. We're like, all right, let's give that a whirl. God, here's the situation. God, I'm giving it to you. God, are you paying attention to me? God, how are you going to act? God, when are you going to act? God, are you acting at all? God, how is this going to get resolved? And before you know it, you have anxiousness in prayer on top of the anxiety you're already dealing with in the situation. And the issue is there's a different source. Now it is, I'm learning to trust God. I'm learning to say no to self. I'm, I'm learning in this moment. If I can't and God says he can, how do I learn how to trust that with him and not allow the anxious thoughts about God now to take over in my mind? The more we get into this idea, the more we'll understand that there is a peace of mind that comes in prayer that only comes through prayer. This text, it talks about the fact we are to take everything to him in prayer. In fact, there's a couple of different words, and that is, it says the idea of in prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. Did you know that your peace is in direct proportion to your prayers? This word prayer, it's a word of general request. And then the word supplication, it speaks of specific petitions or specific requests. And then there's thanksgiving, that is gratefulness throughout your prayers. Basically, Paul's saying in everything, 
You are to pray generally, you're to pray specifically, and you're to pray gratefully. You're to bring these things to God in prayer. And it says, in the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, guard your hearts and minds. This last week, I had an opportunity to spend some time with a friend of mine in prayer. And we covered a lot of topics, a lot of different pieces that we walked through. And after we finished praying, one of the first things I recognized in me was there was a almost tangible sense of calmness that I had after prayer that I did not have before prayer. There, there was a, a peace in which I felt amped up. I felt overwhelmed. There was all of these things. And after taking time to sit with God in prayer, there was a calmness that came from that. Now, let me also say this. Another huge part of that, I believe, is the fact that we were not in a hurry when we were praying. I think there's a, a part of time we spend in prayer as to whether or not we tap into the peace of God that passes all comprehension. So in this particular time, it wasn't that long. It was maybe an hour or so that we were there in prayer together. But in that period of time, it seemed to be long enough that there were not new thoughts coming to mind in prayer. And there was an anxiousness that felt like it was released in that moment. There was a calmness that came afterwards. You know one of the reasons why I think believers struggle with ever getting to the peace of God, passing all comprehension, is because we rush into God's presence and we rush right back out. It's like we come stumbling into the throne room of God. <laughs> We're like, hey God, I'm on my way to work right now. Uh, God, I got a couple things I need to share. Oh man, I got breakfast burrito all down the front of me right now. Oh, there's a person in traffic. You got to dodge the person in traffic for just a moment. And you're like, all right, God, I got three minutes and I don't have a whole lot more time. So you're going to have to bless me fast. Like, God, here's what's on my mind. Would you address this? Would you take care of this situation? And God, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And then we walk away saying, I don't know why I don't have peace of mind. I don't know if it's that big a mystery. If you rush in and then turn around and rush back out, oftentimes the same anxiety you just walked in with is the same one you picked up on the way out the door. There's something about taking time. Don't rush. Oh, here's another thing. You don't have to pray about everything on your prayer list at the same time. That will bless you tomorrow when you think about that. Because sometimes when we're in those moments, we got a list of 3,000 things we feel the need to pray over, and you almost feel rushed to get to the next one as though, like, if I don't get through all of these, there's an expiration date on my prayers from yesterday. It's all right to bring some of those to God in prayer today and just sit with him. And then bring some more to God tomorrow and just sit with him. Bring some more the next day. Sit with him. It's okay to space out our prayer request. So let's go on to this next piece over here real fast. Another one is we fight for thoughts that are true, right, and pure. Fight for thoughts that are true and right and pure. Now, we've covered a lot of this in the last couple of weeks, so I'm only going to kind of touch on this for just a moment, but here's the basic principle that's involved in what we find in verse number eight, and that is your mind is going to dwell on something. The issue is make sure it's dwelling on the right things. I don't know if you all have noticed, it really happens to me a lot when it comes to music. But if I listen to a song maybe a couple of times in the morning and my mind is not 
consciously thinking about something else, all of a sudden that song pops back up in my head and I just start singing through the song in my head without ever choosing to sing that particular song in my head. Sometimes even when I'm trying to do other things and I'm focused, I'm still singing that song in my head. My mind will go to certain places when it's not very focused and occupied on other things. So a number of years ago, there was a mentor in my life that challenged me to begin to memorize scripture early in the morning. So I'd write down different passages that I was thinking on and meditating on. And early in the morning, I would just read over those passages multiple times, probably 10, 15 times, just sit with that little passage. And I noticed as I was driving down the road, instead of my mind going to the song that I heard last, I'm driving down the road. Next thing I know, there's a passage that's coming in my mind, and I'm just sharing it back with God. When it happened, I was almost taken back like, Wow, like I stumbled onto some amazing truth. Did you know I was not the first person to come to that understanding? In fact, this, this is just how our mind works. You will dwell on something. Just make sure what's going into your mind is the right thing. When you fill your mind with junk, your mind thinks about junk. When you fill your mind with lies, it thinks about lies. When you fill it with truth, it's also going to think about truth. Verse 8 says, Dwell on the things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Let your mind dwell and think on those things. Now, to implement verse number eight, here's one of the hard pieces. It might mean that you have to get a little distance between you and certain people. Because the more you're around them, the more you start thinking things that do not align with verse number eight. There might be some times that you have to begin to cut back on the forms of entertainment that you're watching or listening to. There's things you can watch on TV. There's movies you can watch. There's music you can listen to. That when you're by yourself and those things are shut down, those are the things that are playing over and over again in your mind. And it's not leading into what is true and what is right and what is pure and what is of good report. Sometimes it's going to mean you have to pull back from social media and all forms of news media. You stick in that vein long enough, you're going to walk away with more negative thoughts than you ever imagined. There's a lot of it that you have to just say, this is not helping me keep peace of mind. This is not giving me peace of mind. This is not helping me keep peace of mind. But there are things that are pure and lovely and good and right and true that when our mind is dwelling on those things, it leads to peace of mind. Here's the last one and we close. We fight with persistence as we practice these truths. We fight with persistence. The longer we're in the battle, the wearier we become. I don't know about you, but there are certain things that when I understand it in Scripture... I want to apply it immediately, and the perfectionist side of me gets really upset when I don't apply it perfectly every time, and I get frustrated, and it's like I have to go back and relearn the same lessons again and again, and there's a part of me that there's an anxiousness that comes inside where I'm like, I should be beyond this at this point. I, I should have graduated to another level. Why am I back dealing with the same things in the same way as what I dealt with five years ago? When I read verse 9 again with new eyes this last week, I was encouraged. He says, practice these things. In other words, you just keep 
on going through the same things. Ten years from now, here's what I'm going to have to be doing. I'm going to be going back to God again saying, God, i got to keep my mind pure. i got to keep my thought life right. I need to bring this to you again in prayer. There's a practice side of this that brings peace into each of our lives. So here's my point as we close out this morning. There are no silver bullets when it comes to keeping peace of mind. There's a lot of hard work that's going to come with this. There's no time in which you're going to be able to go through and say, I heard one message, I applied one truth, and that has now changed my life, and I don't ever have to wrestle with this again. There is an ongoing battle that's going to be taking place. The question is, are we willing to engage the battle? There's got to be a point for every person they say, I am tired of my mind following the same path. I'm tired of not having peace of mind. I'm tired of the enemy wrecking havoc in my thought life. I'm tired of going through this again and again. There's a statement that's been around for years. It's not unique to me which simply says this. It's not that Scripture is tried and found lacking. It is that Scripture is hard and therefore left untried. You have heard enough biblical truth in the last six weeks that could radically change your thought life. If I were to come back and to teach the same six weeks four years from now, the truths will not change between now and the years from now. The issue comes back to will we act upon what we've heard? One of the encouraging pieces to me when it comes to something like this is everything that we're studying through here, it's been in the Word for thousands of years, helping us to recognize we're not the first believers to walk on the same path. And yet there's those who have come before us and there's those who are still walking amongst us that God is helping them walk in victory. He's helping them see how to live those principles and those truths out. So here's where we leave the series today. Are you willing to engage the battle and do the hard work that is necessary so that you rethink how you think? Are you willing to say, God, what are the pieces in my life that need to change that I've been unwilling to allow you to change? And let him change them. Are there pieces in your life right now that you have held off to the side and say, God, I will give you this much, but nothing past this line? And God's been convicting you of that, saying, you need to give the rest as well. Where is God leading you based on those truths? I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow with me for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. As we're sitting in this final message, final invitation time of the Rewire series, I want to give people another opportunity before we close out this series to respond to the first and most critical part that is needed for peace of mind, and that is right relationship with God.
everything is going to flow out of this relationship. As you all have heard me share many times before, the gospel message, what Jesus came to offer is so simple. The gospel message is that you and I are not here by accident. We have been created for relationship with God. That's why you're here. But the Bible tells us that our sin separated us from that relationship. It's not just that some people sinned and others did not. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also helps us understand that there was nothing that we could do personally to make things right. Our good works were not enough. Going to church, not enough. Religion, not enough. Morality, not enough. There's nothing we could do to make things right ourselves, but Jesus did for us what we could not do. The Bible says he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, not his, our sin. And he rose from the grave three days later that we might have life. He offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who are willing to turn from their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. For the person who does that, God promises to forgive their sin. He promises to bring them into right relationship. He promises to live in them and to abide in them, to change them and to give them heaven. One day when they die, like the promises of God surrounding the gospel are huge. The question for many people in the room, even right now, is Am I absolutely sure that I know Christ? Is, am I sure that there's been a time in my life that I have repented of my sin by placing faith in Jesus? And if you're not sure, I want to encourage you today. If anything of what I'm describing is resonating in your heart, any part of that all, I am asking and encouraging you today that you would simply respond in faith to what Christ is already offering to you. I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer in just a moment. I cannot save you. Jesus has done what is necessary to save you. I cannot give you peace of mind. Jesus promises he'll give peace of mind. I cannot give you down the road heaven when you die. But Jesus says he will. So it's based on the promises of God. If there is a desire to know you're in right relationship with him, I'm going to encourage you, simply pray this prayer back to God as your response to his offer. It's simply this. God, I know that I've sinned. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. I recognize there's nothing that I could do to make things right. But Jesus has done everything. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. And he rose again on the third day that I might have life. As best I possibly know how in this moment, I turn from my sin by placing faith in what Jesus has done for me. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you give me eternal life? Now thank you. 
heads bowed, eyes still closed. I don't want to single people out in any way to make them uncomfortable at all. But I do love to rejoice with people when God is working in their lives. So today, for just a moment, wherever you might be, if you just prayed with me in that prayer, wherever you are, would you lift your hand for just a moment, wherever you might be, around the room? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You may put them down. Thank you. You may put them down. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. There's going to be pastors and some pastor's wives that are going to be at the end of the different aisles. The altar is going to be open for people who would like to come and just simply pray. Or maybe you want to come and say, this morning I prayed and placed faith in Christ. I want to know what the next step is. Share that with one of the pastors. They'd be more than happy to help you take that next step. There might be people today that God has been burdening you. You know that there's things he's asking you to drop off at the altar, and yet you keep walking with him. Let today be the day that you drop those things and you leave them. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are asking that you alone would do what only you can do. God, we thank you for life change. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? The altar is open.